and welcome to this episode of Health is Your Wealth, a Walton County conversation. My name's Dee Dee Harris, and I'll be your host for each episode of Health is Your Wealth. I'm the executive director of Walton Wellness, Inc., a nonprofit located here in Monroe, and I am with my co-host, Bruce Young. Hey, Dee Dee. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah. This is exciting. So this is episode three of the opioid epidemic in Walton County, and you spoke with Dr. Joel Garrison, general practitioner, is that right? Yeah, he's family medicine, and he's part of the um, Piedmont healthcare system, but his practice is located here in Monroe, and he actually does um, also work out of our hospital here in Monroe, part of the Piedmont system, so yeah. We'll get a physician's uh, take on, on opioids and so yeah, the epidemic that he sees from from his end. Well, you know, in episode two, we were speaking to law enforcement. And we mentioned, you know, there's lots of different people we could talk to, but we kind of whittled it down. And um, the medical community is really huge in the opioid yeah. crisis. It is definitely bears some responsibility in the epidemic that we've now um, been created. And, and that's very interesting. We don't get into too much of that with Dr. Garrison about the, um, the overall responsibility that the medical community has in contributing to our epidemic that we have in the United States. But um, we have a really good interview and Dr. Garrison really can share some of the nuts and bolts about the addiction to opioids and, and why it is and, and why it, how it's prescribed right, even. why it occurs as often as it does. Yeah. Sure. Well, that sounds fascinating. Well, let's get into it. Episode three, Dr. Joel Garrison. Great. So, um, I'm here today with Dr. Garrison and welcome to health is your wealth. Great. Thank you. If you would just introduce yourself to everybody, tell them who you are and what you do here in Walton County. Sure. My name is Joel Garrison. I'm a family physician. Um, I work uh, for Piedmont Primary Care Group uh, based at Piedmont Hospital in uh, Walton County in Monroe, Georgia. So why did you want to become a doctor? I became uh, a physician through a route of, um, I believe it was coming from an area of ultimately wanting to help folks um, and using my talents the best way to do that. I always enjoyed sciences and um, those those fields of study um, and intrigued by the human body and the interaction of, of the body and, and disease states, and that kind of led me towards medicine. And then a little bit further into primary care, just being able to make a connection with people and their families and, and help them the best they can. All right, so here's the question everybody always wants to know. Did you make straight A's in math and science all through school? <laughs> A's and B's. Yeah. A's and B's. So Certainly. you were always naturally geared in that direction. I think so, in the, the math and sciences, certainly. Right. Yeah. Um, so can you share with us a little bit about the philosophy of your practice? Um, if you need me to explain a little bit further, but do you have kind of a mission and philosophy behind the way you practice medicine? Certainly. Yeah, so uh, being a family practice physician, we, we take care of the whole family here uh, from birth to end of life decisions. Um, and I also uh, work at the hospital, take care of newborns in the hospital to, to help bring them into the practice and, and develop a relationship with the family from that aspect. As far as a philosophy of practice goes, um, I practice with the, the philosophy that the, the body is a unit 
and there's not one system that's separate from the other. So the, the heart doesn't function differently than the liver, the skin doesn't work differently than the brain. Everything's a unit and everything responds to, to stress and insults the same way. So that is including mental health directly tied in with your physical health. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the mind and the brain aren't separate from other physiological systems of the body and everything's interrelated. So do you focus a lot of um, lifestyle type of choices? Do you do a lot of that conversation within your practice? Absolutely. The the main focus I have with with a lot of folks with chronic conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, we try first to address those through lifestyle interventions. Um, I, I actively try to get people off of medicines rather than putting them on more. Right. And so ways we can do that... Uh, is individualized for the person, but finding what motivates them, what way we can get them healthy naturally instead of just using more and more medicines. Great. So the reason why um, I wanted to interview you today is because we're doing a series on the opioid epidemic in Walton County and what Mm -hmm. that looks like. Um, So you obviously being a medical doctor are a very important piece to this puzzle Um, We're interviewing law enforcement as well as an addiction counselor. So we're trying to get all aspects of what this looks like in our community. Mm -hmm. So I have um, some specific questions in regards to opioids for you. And if you could, maybe I should say in layman's terms, can you explain what an opioid is? Sure, certainly. So opioid refers to, in general terms, a, a class of medicines that work on specific pain receptors in the brain and throughout the body. Um, those are called the opioid receptors in the body. And so an opioid medicine attaches to those receptors and um, helps the body deal with pain through that method. So in general, if you hear the term opioid, it's likely being referred to the medicine that then affects those receptors in the body. So not all pain or what we typically call painkillers are opioids. Am I right in saying that? Correct. Right. So the the most common sort of pain medicines out there, the ibuprofen or the Tylenol, those are not opioid medicines. Those are, they work differently in your body um, through different channels than the opioid medicines. Could you give us a couple of brand names that we might be familiar with that are considered opioids? Sure. Sure, and uh, unfortunately, you probably know them from pop culture as well, but uh, Percocet um, is a, one of the opiate medicines. Uh, Lortab is another one. Norco, um, Oxycodone, Roxycodone, those sort of medicines are opiates. Okay. Can you tell us why are opioids so addicting to the body? Sure, and so it goes down to the the pharmacology of it or the the science of how the medicine works so the the medicine opioid receptors they're throughout your body but they control pain through your brain and so when someone takes an opiate medicine the medicine attaches to those receptors in your brain and decreases your your sensation of pain unfortunately they don't treat pain at the side of it so for instance if you uh, break your leg and you're having pain at the broken leg and you take an opiate they don't go to your leg to stop the pain. They just go to your brain and tell your brain to shut off the pain. Oh. 
Um, that's a huge distinction. So if certainly. you're taking like a ibuprofen or something, that's more hitting at the area because you're decreasing inflammation Correct. or swelling or something like that. Correct. So opioids specifically do go to your brain. They do. And the opioid receptors in the brain, that's uh, how they work. Uh, the downside to that and the reason why they're, <clears throat> excuse me, why they're so addictive is that they, your body will get used to them over time. And your body, if all of the opiate receptors in your brain have been in, covered by the medicine, your brain, your body will start producing more receptors. And then your brain will see that as a need to fill more receptors. And in essence, you're building a, a tolerance to the medicine and that uh, your body will need more and more over time. So that explains why some people could actually maybe take six Lortab in a day and not really be phased as where someone who maybe doesn't have an addiction takes one and they go to bed and sleep the rest right. of the day. Certainly. Um, so it actually does change your brain chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not necessarily an addiction. So there's some folks out there who, who take high doses of opiates but are not addicted to them, but they okay. certainly have a higher tolerance to them than others. I see. And so the, there is a distinction between folks who can build a high tolerance and then those who can get addicted. Okay. And the addiction is more of a uh, psychological issue of, uh, of necessity and going above and beyond to fill that void. So is that more of abuse of opioids? Are we talking like when we say addiction, are we mm -hmm. really referring to someone who is abusing the medication versus having a physical addiction? Is that what you're saying? So There's not necessarily a physical addiction. There it's, is. Okay. Um, but we like to think of the physical addiction as more of a, a tolerance issue. Okay. But there, there can also be a physical addiction and then a, the the most worrisome is the, the psychological addiction. I see. And just the fact that this is the way I function during the day and I need it to function right. normally. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the addicting part of it. Certainly. I see. Yeah. So can you, of course, with the opioid epidemic being so much in the media, um, mm -hmm. on the thoughts of a lot of people all around the country, especially a lot of times we see this in rural places. Um, it's not just a big city problem. Right. And so there's a lot of discussion about what role the medical community plays, what role obviously patients play. Can you share with us what you learned being a young doctor? It hasn't mm -hmm. been that long since you were at a medical school. Yep. Um, what did you learn about opioids when you were in school? Sure. So, uh, we learned the, the great potential they have for treating pain, but also the, the major downside of the uh, tolerance and the addiction that will come with using them uh, chronically, or certainly more than for just acute pain issues. Um, certainly when they first came out, they're marketed to treat acute pain and then cancer-related pain. So things that were really pain sources that were that were not going to be easily fixed. I see. Um, but unfortunately, it's kind of morphed into uh, chronic pain issues, uh, musculoskeletal pain issues, 
um, that should otherwise be treated without opiate medicines. I see. So when opioids maybe first were kind of coming out, was it more geared toward palliative pain, maybe somebody that was at the end of their life, making them more comfortable, that it sort was. of thing? Yep. And, of course, acute pain issues. I see. Um, so doing some research on um, the opioid epidemic and just how opioids have been used in the United States, I did come across a statistic that says that the U.S. consumes 30% of the world's supply of opioids. Does that mm-hmm. surprise you, or have you heard that before? Uh, I haven't heard the statistic, but it does not surprise me at all. Can you give us any insight as to why you think that is? It's hard to say. Um, certainly, we live in a, a society here in the United States where uh, we want immediate relief of issues and pain. And unfortunately, that sometimes the, the easiest answer is not the best answer. Um, and certainly for many years that built up to where we currently are with the opioid crisis, um, opioids were being used for chronic pain and for, for issues that they would didn't necessarily need to be used for, Um, whether that's because too many doctors were prescribing them inappropriately um, or if the doctors who were prescribing them thought it was in the patient's best interest and they wanted to help the pain, um, it's hard to say. Right. But over time, we certainly started using more and more. um, And looking back now, we can say that was very inappropriate. Right. So... What is your philosophy on prescribing opioids? You've kind of given us a little bit of hint, obviously. Um, I applaud the fact that you are a a lifestyle doctor. You're looking at the whole person, which is awesome. And um, But what are your thoughts about prescribing opioids? And then I guess what leads into that question is, you know, deciding whether a patient, how do you treat a patient that, actually does have chronic pain um so can you kind of let us into your head a little bit about how you make that decision when you are presented with a patient who you truly know has chronic pain issues um but then obviously there's this other kind of dark side to prescribing Mm -hmm. opioids certainly so there's lots of uh, other options out there uh, both from uh, pharmacological so medicine options um, there's natural medicine options, there's uh, therapy options, hand-on options, um, things like um, manipulation, physical therapy, acupuncture. Uh, there's many different options out there for chronic pain other than uh, take a pill and then eight hours later take another pill right. and so on and so forth. So uh, my personal philosophy on it and, and how we, we work in our office is we explore every single option other than opiates first to find out what's the best way to, to manage someone's pain um, and at all costs try to prevent using opiates. So your philosophy definitely is that's the last option. It's a kind of a last resort if Certainly. nothing else works. Yeah. And sometimes even if it is the last resort, we still won't use it. Because, I see. Because we know, especially in younger folks, with chronic mm. pain, um, sometimes there's, once you get to a certain level, and at one point if you're started on opiates at a young age, then where do you go from there? Right. Do you just continue taking more and more higher doses as you get older and go throughout life? Right. And unfortunately, that's, in my opinion, not a, 
not a good way to to have a good quality of life. So do you find that your patients that do come to you that have chronic pain, um, is it kind of a difficult task to get them maybe to open their minds beyond taking a pill? Or has the media exposure to opioids maybe changed a little bit of the mindset of your average citizen? Um, or do you see a mixed bag in your practice? I think it's a mix. So certainly I have um, some patients who, who see pain management specialists and are on uh, chronic opiate therapy. Um, and in those patients, it's more difficult to, to try to, to wean them off and uh, and explore other options other than, than taking a medicine multiple times a day. Uh, but then we have other patients who understand the dangerous uh, ramifications of, of opiates and want to avoid them at all costs. And so it's, it's really a mixed bag. I see. So um, where, when you do prescribe opioids, or when any doctor prescribes opioids, where does the doctor's responsibility end with that prescription? And maybe this is with really any prescription. Where does a doctor's responsibility end and where does the patient's begin? Um, and maybe there's an easy answer to that the second <laughs> you walk out the door. <laughs> right. um, but is there kind of a thought or theory to that? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, with, with any prescription or really any recommendation from a physician, it should be a shared responsibility. Um, and it certainly doesn't end when the patient leaves the office. It's a shared responsibility that's continued throughout the entire course of that prescription, whether it's um, 10 days of antibiotics or a, a month of an anti-inflammatory pain medicine for a, a chronic knee pain. Uh, it's a, a shared, it, it should be a trusted relationship between the physician and the patient, something that uh, the line of communication can always stay open. And so doctors are truly interested in how patients are taking their medication once they leave. I think, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes patients maybe walk out the door and don't think, of, you know, the doctor's done his, done his job or her job, giving me a prescription, and then out of sight, out of mind. But what I'm hearing is it really is the doctor is concerned about how that medicine's being taken once they leave and whether it's an antibiotic or certainly. an opioid. Yeah. And I think uh, certainly I am, and I know my colleagues are very, um, very in tune with that. And uh, we ask patients when we see them back about the medication compliance, and if if they're not taking it as prescribed, then why, and what can we do jointly? Kind of what shared decisions can we make to to help with either the compliance of taking the medicine or or switching to something else and finding a better alternative? Right. And while we're on the subject, which a little off the subject of opioids, but isn't it true that everyone should take their antibiotic until it's done? It is. <laughs> I just want to hear yeah. that from the doctor's mouth <laughs> so that it is true. You are supposed to take, even if you feel better, yeah. you're supposed to complete that prescription. Am I right? You are. <laughs> Thank you. You run the risk of uh, antibiotic resistance or failure of therapy if you stop sooner or don't finish the course. Good to know. Very good to know. So um, can you tell us a little bit, you know, most of us as patients and outside the medical field are a little bit in the dark as to how 
doctors learn about prescribing new drugs or how you learn about new drugs, period. Mm -hmm. Can you let us know a little bit about how doctors learn about new drugs and how they learn about what the effects are of drugs and all that? I mean, there's thousands, probably millions of drugs. You can't you can't be a computer in your brain to know every mm -hmm. single one of them. So can you share with us a little bit about that, how that happens? Sure. Um, so we learn about new medicines uh, through um, medical journals and through online medical resources. Uh, certainly the, the FDA uh, vets medications very well, so there's multiple trials that have to be done uh, before medicine can be approved in the United States for use for a certain condition. Um, and that can take many, many years. Uh, so we uh, read about new medicines coming out and the trials and how they're doing in the trials uh, before they uh, are ready for the um, directly for patients outside of trials. So does the FDA have anything that, um, whether it be a listserv email or any way of kind of tapping the doctor on the shoulder saying, hey, there's these new medications you want to check out, or is it strictly up to the doctor to find the time to read journals and to investigate new medications? Most of the time it's up to the doctor to stay current on the medical literature um, and to, to continue the, the lifelong learning process and uh, finding the, the new treatments. So one last question in regards to um, opioids. Can you speak a little bit to, I know that you're a family practice doctor, so you're not a surgeon, but mm -hmm. um, being that you do go to the hospital and such, can you speak a little bit about how this has changed the way hospitals operate when it comes to surgeries um, and stuff as far as, you know, I've heard some reports that, now you just need to expect to have a little pain when you mm -hmm. have surgery. Um, has there really been kind of a overall policy change within the medical community looking at prescribing opioids after surgery or even after minor surgery? Certainly. Um, and it's come from both hospitals, it's come from state agencies and from insurance companies, um, which is very uh, good to hear that even the insurance companies are backing the the guidelines on prescribing opiates um, after uh, procedures and surgeries and for injuries. So, so is that true that we need to be a little bit more prepared to be uncomfortable somewhat maybe than we were a couple years ago after having your gallbladder removed or something like that? I don't think uh, maybe being uncomfortable isn't the right way to put it. The, certainly during surgery and after surgery and uh, your pain will be managed the same way as before. It's more now when when you leave the hospital or after you leave for a, a procedure. Uh, in the past, there's been no restrictions on the amount or the length of therapy for opiate-like medicines to be prescribed. Right. Now we're seeing a restriction of three to five days max they can be prescribed okay. um, once you leave after a procedure. And we would fully anticipate any major pain to be uh, completely resolved by then. I see. So just one last comment from you. If there is someone listening to this that maybe has an opioid addiction or um, struggling with mm -hmm. maybe abusing opioids or maybe has a loved one or family member, do you have any advice for how they should go approach that person or what they should do? 
Certainly. So it's very difficult um, when talking about addiction, um, whether that can be uh, for prescription use addiction, for alcohol addiction, um, even uh, tobacco or nicotine addiction. That uh, can be a very difficult conversation to have. Um, so you certainly want to come from a place of love and best interest for the person. Um, and then it's also helpful to, if you can, um, involve a, a family physician or, or another trusted source to help, uh, to help have that conversation. So if you do have a family member or a loved one that you know is abusing their prescription, you know, of course, with HIPAA laws and stuff, obviously the doctor is very limited about who they can talk to about someone's medical mm-hmm. treatment. Um, but can that person contact the doctor without asking questions about their medical treatment, say, hey, my mother or whoever is, I've noticed they're abusing this prescription, I want to let you know. Is that something that someone can do? Certainly, yeah. And then that happens quite often when, when family members are concerned about addiction issues. Um, and that's important for physicians to know as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Dr. Garrison, for your time today. And you've given us a lot of valuable information that I'm sure will help a lot of people. So thanks. All right. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Walton Wellness, Inc. and the Walton County Healthcare Foundation. Email us at waltonwellness at gmail.com. Find us on the web at waltonwellness.org, Facebook, and Instagram.